I don't know how we're doing it, but we just keep doing it. Combo Nation, what up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 210 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you're listening to Combo's Court. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, leave a five-star rating and a friendly comment would greatly appreciate it. Also, it's the follow button on that Apple Podcast app. If you didn't know, punch down on that follow button. Also, share this episode with a friend. Share it on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Share it on your IG stories and tag me at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Today's show, Nathan Grubel of Draft Deeper joins in to discuss the 2022 NBA draft. That's right, an early look at the 2022 NBA draft and much more. You can find Nathan on Twitter at Draft Deeper. That's D R A F T D E E P E R. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Nathan Grubel, Draft Deeper. Welcome to Combos Court, man. How are you feeling? I'm feeling all right, man. It's it's the premiere of the NBA season. I'm happy to be back watching hoops. Absolutely. Nets Bucks is already looking good. We're recording this, I believe, right after the first half. That was a great first half by both teams. And I'm just excited to talk hoops with a player, man, a former player. Thanks for having me on. Oh, anytime. Uh, apologies to the listeners. I think I lost my voice a little bit. I've been doing some traveling. I'm feeling well. I'm all well. Everything is good, but I might have lost a little bit of my voice. But as long as we get some great information from Nathan, it, that doesn't matter, right? I would hope so. I, I hope I live <laughs> up to expectations. Absolutely. Most definitely. Nathan, tell me more about Draft Deeper. So Draft Deeper, um, I, I would consider it a public scouting service, but really it started off as my own podcast. And I come from a scouting background. Um, I really started out as a communications journalism major, went to Temple, thought I wanted to just be in basketball media for my career, but I fell so much in love with the game and studying the young players trying to come into the league um, that that I kind of wanted to pursue like a more like a front office slash scouting type path. And so I did pro scout school, tried to make a bunch of connections, both obviously out there, but also um, some of my dad's old friends and colleagues, guys like Rich Shoebrooks, et cetera, that he worked with in different years. And I also ended up working for a private scouting firm called EV Hoops at the time, which is it's run by now Los Angeles Lakers scouter was run by now Los Angeles Lakers scout along with Kurov. That's really how I got a lot of my in-depth experience, getting credentials, going to games, scouting live, not just booting up the synergy and watching film and studying stats really kind of boots on the ground, definitely get, get my bearings. Right. So I figured I wanted to keep in that. I wanted to keep talking about basketball, wanted to keep offering scouting and, and different evaluations. So I figured why not start up my own podcast where I'm not just giving my thoughts, but I'm really trying to get my listeners to, to hear some conversations and, and get an understanding of 
what kind of what kind of conversations are going on behind the scenes in front offices? What are scouts talking about? What are scouts looking for? What's really that part of it? Not just booting up a booting up a piece of film and, and trying to figure things out for yourself. What, what are those conversations like? So that's what I'm here trying to do. And it's been a, a humbling experience through my first year doing the podcast. I've had plenty of people give me support and I've been asked to come on great shows such as your own. I love what you're doing, man. So thank you for having me. Seriously. Most definitely. And you're a big contributor to draft Twitter. I mean, <laughs> draft deeper. I mean, you, you really engage with everything I do. You support everything I do. And I really appreciate it. And it's great having you on the show. Yes, sir. It's a, it, as we were just talking before we started recording, I, I try and get so many different perspectives on my show. I've had um, different coaches on. I've had other scouts on. I've had other media people on. But whenever I can interview a player or, or talk to a former player, that's another perspective I don't think is out there enough in basketball media. So what you're doing, man, seriously, I think it's really important for, for you to have your voice and to be able to do something like this. It's really important. Appreciate that. That means a lot. So let's uh, get to the draft. What are your general thoughts on the 2022 NBA draft? We're early, but this is how it goes, man. We got to start early, you know. We're, we're early, and I've already started previewing the 2022 class over on my podcast. Um, but by the time your, your listeners are listening to this, I'll have episode two up, and I've gone through about 11 prospects so far, really just trying to touch on a lot of the freshmen. But obviously, we have some interesting returning guys. We have some international guys who are definitely going to make some noise. I know um, Tyler, who I've been doing some of my podcasts with to start off the year, was already getting some buzz about Nikola Jovic. He's a guy to definitely watch in the international class who's making a lot of Not work. Jokic. Not Jokic. You got to Not Jokic. Know. He looks like Jokic, though, at times on the court. He looks like <laughs> a smaller Jokic at times when he plays for others. It's, it's quite fascinating to, to boot up some of the film and watch him play. But as I've kind of said, I, I don't know if I see – and, again, it's preseason. It's very early. Once we, we get into enough of the college season, some of my opinions might change. I don't know if I see – like an MVP caliber type standout in this draft class quite yet. I think probably the most exciting prospect I've seen, I know you wanted to touch on him a little bit, Jaden Hardy, who's going to the G League. I, I love his game, man. I really love his game as a smooth combo scorer. Him, to me, stands out as a guy who I'm sure is going to be like a max player in the NBA. And then you have some of the interesting guys like Chet Holmgren, and Paolo Bancaro, guys who – they're getting a lot of buzz to be the number one pick very early on in the process. I'm not quite there in terms of their evaluations. I want to see a little bit more out of them and feel free to ask me some questions about those guys. But overall, I, I'm really intrigued to just get to study these guys. Not so much. I'm, I'm not as confident in my preseason evaluations to this point as I was in a lot of the guys from last year's class. Last year's class was star studded for a reason. Yeah. To me, the person, the player, the prospect who has the biggest superstar potential in this draft, I'd have to say it's Chet, in my opinion. I could just see, like, if everything works out for him, and I think him being skinny is a little bit overstated. I don't think yeah. that – and I, and honestly, from the people I talk to, I don't think NBA decision makers think that's that much of a concern, actually, to be honest. And what goes unsaid about Chet is just how tough he is in the field for the game, along with everything that's obvious, like – you know, the shot creation with a guy who's like seven one and the rim protection and and the passing, but I just the toughness and the feel for the game are something that like are things that I think are going a little bit unsaid when it comes to Chet. 
No, absolutely. That's something that I definitely touched on on my first episode cover in 2022. And really one of the things that I've heard or, or things that I, I hear about as a concern from people studying the class early, like people look at Chet, obviously his build, he's not the bulkiest of guys. He's 7'1", but just because he's that tall doesn't automatically mean he's going to have an injury, a troubling injury, or he's going to have right. problems or whatever the case may be, right? Like usually when you bring that up as a concern, it's because a player has already had an injury history going back to like high school. And like, correct me if I'm wrong, like I, I haven't seen anything that he's had any major injuries up to this point. So I feel that that's a very unfair criticism for him just because he might not be ready physically to step into the NBA and guard somebody like a, like an Embiid or a Jokic or something like that. That's right. a concern as opposed to some people don't think his body's going to hold up because he's a certain build and a certain height. Like that to me is, is very unfair to chat. And I, I agree with you hundred percent, the energy, the toughness, the tenacity that he plays with doesn't matter how much the kid weighs. Like if he, if he wants to do damage on you, he's going to do it. Like even if he gets knocked down on a play, he's going to get right back up and he's, he's going to want to give it to you on the next possession. Like that, that's like a Giannis type quality that you see in chat. And when somebody plays with that level of energy, that, determination to make something happen on the court, it generally works out in their favor. So, so I agree with you hundred percent. I think he's been unfairly criticized a little bit up to this point. Is it fair to say his ceiling is higher than Paulo? Cause I would say so. Uh, yeah, absolutely. If everything works out for him, I mean, we, we've already seen him flash some of the face-up scoring ability. Um, he, he has, it's funny. I know Anthony Davis got a lot of the, the hype when he was at Kentucky for his rim protection and his shot blocking ability. I think Chet is way more advanced in terms of his instincts and his feel for protecting the rim to this point than Anthony Davis was when he was getting into college. Like he, yeah. he could be, he, he's one of those guys at Gonzaga. I know he's going to be playing next to Drew Timmy, even though he's playing next to who you would consider to be a more true traditional center. I still think he could average like over three or four blocks per game at Gonzaga, which is that, that that's crazy to say for a freshman, right? Like not every college freshman big comes in and averages that many blocks per game, but like just the, the number of different ways he can impact the game defensively is really intriguing to me. You could correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I saw is that the rim protection came early for him and then yeah. he built, and then he built around that. Yeah, his just his timing and his anticipation, like he doesn't get himself into foul trouble. He doesn't bite on pump fakes. He's a very disciplined defender. And when you see that at a very young age from big men like him, it really speaks volumes to what he can actually do once he gets his feet more wet in, in an NBA type system. Like I think he's going to be a monster shot blocker in the league. All right. So you mentioned Jaden Hardy. I wanted to know your thoughts on his G League decision because I thought it was great for Jalen Green. Man, he got to play against closer to NBA level talent. He got to play with NBA rules. But I think this is an interesting decision because of the NIL. And and Hardy could have actually got paid in college, but he still makes the G League decision. What do you think of all that? And do you think it was the right decision for him? I think it's I think it's better for his game overall. Because yeah. I think one thing that we, we knew that Jalen Green could score, like coming out of high school, going into the G League. We knew whether he went to college or went to the G League, he was going to score in bunches. Um, we knew that that was going to translate immediately to the pro game. It was going to be a three-level score. Hardy is the same way, but what him and Jalen have in common is that they're, they're both not viewed as these traditional playmakers either. Um, and, and, and some yeah. people 
even thought in Jalen's case that he would have trouble even adjusting to like a secondary playmaker type role because he showed a little bit of tunnel vision going back to high school. He wanted to consistently score the basketball every time he touched it. And when he was in the G League system, you know, Brian Shaw had him running offense. They, he ran offense through him. He put him in pick and roll situations. He made him make decisions with the basketball other than immediately look to score it. And I think that's going to benefit Hardy the same way. While I can talk all day about how advanced a scorer Hardy is, he's another guy who just wants to shoot it as, as soon as he touches it. And when he learns how to make everyone else around him better, along with how he can contribute scoring the basketball, that's going to help him in so many different ways. So just as I saw that as a positive for Jalen, I think it's going to be a big positive for Jaden. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I think Jaden actually has the ability to play make. It's just if he wants to do it or not. It's more exactly. like if I want to play make because he shows flashes of the ability. Exactly. And if you force him to make those decisions now before he gets to the league, he's going to be so much more comfortable doing it once he sits on an NBA floor. I mean, you could, you could probably speak to this more than I could. Like coaches love to see that coaches love to see players who want to make everyone else around them better. And if he's more comfortable and more willing to do it, and he learns how to do it the right way now before he even gets to the league, once he sits foot on the NBA floor, that's just going to open up more doors for him. It's going to have more, more avenues and opportunities for him to, to not only earn minutes, but also keep them. Yeah, I think that's the easiest way to win in the NBA. Of course, you could have a ball-dominant guy if he's that good and defy the odds. But if you have five guys that could dribble, pass, shoot, like yeah. how we saw with the Warriors, it makes life easier, you know? And if you could become one of those players, you fit into systems easier, even if you're a role player or a star. Absolutely, 100%. Absolutely agree. Okay, so uh, Patrick Baldwin, he's going to play for his father. Interesting decision. He'll get a lot of shots up at the University of wisconsin Milwaukee. Uh, what did you feel about that decision? Is there an NBA comp for Patrick Baldwin? And how do you think his game will translate to the NBA level? So his, his shooting ability at his size um, really, really does remind me of Michael Porter Jr. in terms of how smooth it is. Now, I'm not going to compare them both as complete scorers. MPJ obviously has a lot more in his bag from a creation and a setup standpoint. But just from a pure shooting perspective, Pat Baldwin can make shots from all over the floor at levels of efficiency similar to one of those plus size shooters like Michael Porter Jr. To me, I'll be very curious to see not only his full body of work, like you and I can sit down, for example, and we can look at a full body of work and pick out over a number of games. What are his strengths? What are his weaknesses? We, we will give him a fair evaluation, but right. also, as you know, a part of this is, what the national media says about him coming into the draft and all of these narratives that can be written about a kid before they even get to the draft, let alone set their foot in the league, the college that he's going to, they only have two major games on the season against what you would consider like major level competition against Florida and against Colorado. If he has one bad game, not, not even let alone if he has like both bad games, but let's just say one of those two games, he comes out flat. He goes like three of 10 from the field. Yeah. Like, He's going to get so unfairly criticized that I'll be really interested to see what kind of narrative is written on him from that point. It's one thing, even, even if he comes out like the rest of his games, he averages 20 plus points. He obviously gets all of his touches. He converts efficiently from the field. They figure out different ways how to use him. He's not just self-creating. He, he's, he's coming off screens, working off handoffs. He's finding different ways to get himself involved. A lot of that won't matter to the national media. They'll, construct their narrative off of one or two bad performances in the big game. So I'll be really curious to see how that plays out. But 
I like him as uh, overall as a fit in the NBA. I don't know how high he's going to be drafted. I think he's a top 10 guy in, in my opinion. And I think that's where he'll end. I don't know how high he's going to climb and I'll be really curiously watching those two big games. Yeah. I mean, if he doesn't play well against one of those two teams, I think that'd be unfair to like drop his draft stock. Absolutely. For one reason is that you don't have NBA guys around you. There's not NBA spacing. The other team could focus yep. in on you. I mean, in the NBA, you just have so much spacing and life gets easier. So that, that would be totally unfair. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's really, I was thinking about this today, just the college game and the pro game are just two completely different games. One is a coach's game. The other is a player's game. So ex exactly unfair narratives can be written. Yeah. And it reminds me of Anthony Edwards. Like I just, I watched that guy play in college and I was a lot higher on him than anybody that draft. Um, but if you just like put his game in NBA spacing, you like, I just felt like good things would definitely happen, you know? Uh, I, I know you wanted to talk about Mr. Edwards, and I, I had a lot of kind words to say about him over on Chuck's podcast. And, and Chuck, <laughs> Chuck thinks he's probably going to be the most improved player in the NBA this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, well, if he's the most improved player, he's an all-star level player, right? That he, he's predicted <laughs> to be an all-star this year. It's, it's crazy. I, I don't know if I would go that far, but when I was watching him in the preseason, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this as well his defense in terms of not only his recognition of what's going on around him, but his willingness and his desire to make a play on that end of the floor. Like if he gets a steal and he's out in transition, like forget about it. Like you're, you're not catching him. He's that quick. He's that powerful of an athlete. He's going to finish that play. But if he really does step up his defense a few notches this year, we already know the, the improvement level that's likely coming on the offensive end. Like, I think that Chuck had a great stat that like once coach Finch came in, he was averaging like 24 points per game. That's probably around what I'd expect an average this season. Like now yeah. all of a sudden you're putting him in conversation for like, not even just the best two way wings amongst his peers, the young guys, but better two way wing options possibly in the entire NBA. Like that's the crazy kind of jump he could take in just a second year. Who do you fear is more likely to win MVP him or LaMelo during their career? I, I, I want to give the politically correct answer because I think it depends on who's voting, right? Like LaMelo can do so many things from the guard spot. And that's the type of player you see that, that people want to win an MVP award nowadays. The guy who can literally do everything that that's why Jokic won last year. That's why Russell Westbrook, Mr. Triple double has won in the past. Giannis, when Giannis is playing at his highest level, he's not just scoring, rebounding, defending. He's also making plays for others. LaMelo, at least on the offensive end can do almost everything you want him to do. But Edwards, I would compare him more to like if Jason Tatum could win the award one day, like he's a two way wing. He's not, one of those playmakers is going to average like six or seven assists per game. But if he's doing everything else on the court and he's still able to just make the simple reads, make the easy passes, kind of like what Tatum's become in the NBA now, like all of a sudden you'll be watching a Celtics game and you'll look up and Tatum will have like seven assists on the night. You'll go, well, how did that happen? They're not having him bring the ball up the floor. He's not always the one initiating the offense, but he's just making the simple play within the offense when the ball's kicked over to him, if Anthony Edwards gets to that level, you add the scoring, he's a plus rebounder for his position. He's bringing defense. Like, yeah, I could, I could see him winning an MVP award, but I think the, the national narrative, the people who are likely voting for the award over somebody like me would probably tell you LaMelo, but I, I don't know. It's a really intriguing debate to have. 
Yeah, the difference between Tatum and Anthony Edwards is burst, though. Like Anthony Edwards' burst is just different. Yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously Tatum's a better player right now, but yeah, Anthony Edwards has elite burst, and Jason Tatum is for how good of a player he is, his burst I would say is like maybe average to above average. I think that's the biggest difference between those two. I, I, I didn't see Anthony Edwards processing the game at the level he is so early on in his career. Right, right. It's not that I didn't see this type of potential in him. I just – I thought it would be like three years down the road. Like growing pains. Yeah. Exactly. And now yeah. we're in year two, and we're, we're expecting him to make a pretty significant jump in his game on both ends. Like it, it's crazy to me how quickly these guys are adapting to the NBA game. Yeah, I mean – uh, well, I, the answer to the question for me would be Anthony Edwards. I don't know if you uh, said your answer yet, but the reason why I'll, I like- I'll leave with you, I'll, I'll, I'll lean with you. I'll, I'll, I'll buck the quote unquote national trend. I'll, I'll, I'll lean with you, which is yeah. crazy. It's crazy, but yeah. Yeah. And uh, what I love about LaMelo's game is that it's just so unique. He plays with like a unique cadence and he gives NBA defenses a different look. I think that's what makes him so successful. Obviously with the, He's a 1% of 1% passers, you know, like just a savant as a passer. Those two things are what make him so special, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I, I, in terms of like future MVPs, I'd probably have guys like Luca or Zion even over somebody like an Anthony Edwards or LaMelo, but you know that those two will enter into the conversation when the time's right, absolutely. Okay, so back to draft talk. I wanted to shift to A.J. Griffin. Is he in the mix for top three, top five? Is there an NBA comparison for him? How do you feel about his game? I talked about him on the first episode I did. I, I included him with some of those top freshmen guys like Paolo and Chet and, and, and Jaden because he is a very special athlete in his own right. Now he's not, it's not like he's this crazy, like six, nine wing. He's, he's six, six, but he's powerful. Like I think he's listed anywhere between like 225 and 230 pounds. I 100% believe that dude built like a brick house. And some of the mid range game that he started to show later in his high school career has really intrigued me. Like he's, he's a guy, he reminds me a little bit of DeMar DeRozan. Um, and, and, and when you're able to throw around a name like that, a multi-time all-star, like you kind of have to pay attention to what this kid's doing. Now, I know he has a lot of the injury. Like we talked about, it's been unfair talk about injuries with check. Cause I don't think he has an injury history. AJ does have an injury history. He's out right now. He's not going to start the year for Duke. So I'll be really interested to monitor his case from a health perspective. But if we're just talking about pure basketball player, he's probably amongst the guys that I've, talked about up to this point he's the best defender out of all of them he's one of those guys who sits in the stance he aggressively guards you he's he's the most technically sound defender I think I've seen up to this point in this class so it was a two-way level wing who can score from the mid-range and in and has even shown a little bit to his three-point game I'll be curious to see if some of that comes around in college as well but yeah he absolutely deserves to be mentioned amongst like the top five or six most talented players in the class out of the projected lottery picks who do you enjoy watching the most I love me some Jaden Hardy, but I also <laughs> I also talked about um, Alabama guard J.D. Davison on the podcast okay. yesterday. This kid, he I get so many Colin Sexton vibes from that kid, and and I, I talk on Twitter all the time. I may very well end up being one of the last people on Colin Sexton Island. I don't know how you feel about no, this. I, I think he's great. You saw what he did to the Nets. That holds me on his on the island for a while. Like he, <laughs> you know, the way he took over that game. Man, not a lot of players could do that, man. And, and, and J.D. Davison plays with the same level of tenacity. And yes. 
like one, one of the best notes I wrote down for the podcast I did yesterday was that he is, he is a shot blocking artist from the guard spot. Like that is how electric of a defender this kid is. He is an elite level athlete for his position, probably the best athlete at the point guard spot we're going to evaluate this year. And just, just the level of competitive fire that he plays with, it's contagious to everyone else around him. And I'm not going to say that he's going to take the exact same jump up in terms of number of spots that Jalen Suggs took last year, but that was a big reason why Suggs leapt up the board. Another guard who was projected late lottery last year rose all the way up to being a top five pick for similar reasons. He was that much of a leader for Gonzaga. Everyone knew that if you took him off that Gonzaga team, they probably, even though they were a talented team overall, they probably wouldn't have gone as far as they did last year. I wonder how much J.D. Davidson could push this Alabama team past even some of the heights they reached last year, being an, an elite eight team. I, I, I really wonder how Nate Oates can, can unlock this kid. I'm, I'm very curious, but if, if I'm picking one of those late lottery projected guys to, to make a leap up to somewhere higher up, like top six, top seven picks this year, I'm going to pick Davison. He's going to be one of my favorite guys to watch. Okay. Now I want to ask you under the radar sleeper prospects um, that you believe are not getting enough buzz. I mentioned jo- Jovich. I, I don't think Jovich is getting enough attention. Okay. I, I really don't. I know um, Adam Spinello over at the box and one has Jovich already as like a top five pick. Oh, top he, five. Wow. At least in his own opinion, he does. And um, I, I know some other people I talked to are very high on him. That guy at his size, 6'10", again, not someone who's going to overwhelm you athletically or he doesn't have the most imposing frame, but he's just such a smart smart basketball player and if the shot comes around for him if he can just make open three-point shots I think his stock is going to skyrocket and, and once people get more eyes on him he's, he's one of those guys who I think he's probably most people's opinions like a mid to late first round pick but he should absolutely be in lottery conversation if not like top six top seven potential so you just reminded me of something. You said not the most imposing athlete. So let's shift to the 2023 draft real quick with Amani Bates, because I've been hearing all this. I don't know his exact vertical jump numbers, but and I don't know his exact wingspan measurements, but they're not exciting to some evaluators from what I'm hearing. Um, I don't believe that really drops his stock as long as he plays well in his college season. How much stock do you put into measurements? And how much stock do you put into testing when it comes to evaluating prospects? Because I think that's the bigger conversation here. I kind of want your answer on this as well. Like being, being a player yourself, like a lot of people overblow those measurements way too much. Like this kid was getting killed on social media for some of that stuff that came out from the Memphis pro day. I'm absolutely against it. I disagree with it. I want this kid's play to do the talking. He kind of alluded to that in his own answer. Um, after the pro day. And, and I love that he said something like that. Like play, players know if you can play the game or not, like players don't care about how long your arms are, how high you can jump. Like, right. You can play the game at a high level. You're intelligent enough. You process it. That's going to speak for itself. Like dropping 20 something points per game, regardless of how long your arms are, it doesn't matter. If you're dropping 20 plus points per game, you're going to have a home in, 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 at the next level, especially if you're enough of an athlete to play at, at that level. So yeah, I think a lot of it was absolutely overblown, unfair to Amani Bates. I haven't necessarily had an opinion on his game up to this point. I haven't studied him in depth, 
but I'm even more of a fan of his now. And, and if I, I, I want everybody to succeed, but I especially want him to succeed after a lot of that came out because it was absolutely unfair and called for. Most definitely. If he plays great, he's a top five prospect in 2023. I think he's trying to get into the 2022 draft, but I don't know how that's going. He's, he's uh, not going to be eligible because of his age. So. Yeah, no, but I, I think they're trying to get him in somehow. Probably trying. Well, yeah. We'll see if somebody's that's... able to pull some strings somewhere. <laughs> it, it happens, man. But Most definitely. Uh, the two best rookies to me will probably be, you know, kind of obviously in some ways. Jalen Green and Kay, like I watched them play in summer league. I think they're going to be really good right away. The two most interesting prospects, and I would even argue, I've been so high on Scotty Barnes for a long time now. So he's the one guy I want to see really play. Um, and Alfred Shengun, interesting. Yes, I want to see. I want to see how his game translates to the NBA level because obviously we know the accomplishments he's had overseas, and that means a lot. Uh, being an MVP that young in one of the best leagues in Europe, maybe the second best league in Europe, I would say, but who are some rookies that you're really interested in watching play? I mean, you, you mentioned Shangun right off the bat. I, I, I drove that bus about as hard as I could last year. I, I beat that drum. I thought that Oklahoma city should have considered him at six. I know they took Josh Giddy. Josh Giddy has promise in his own right. He's shown some interesting flashes in the preseason, but Shangun would have just offered that team a dimension that they haven't had. Like you look at all of their numbers and I understand they were one of the worst teams in the NBA last year, like pretty much statistically across the board, you're not necessarily going to find bright spots, but the, the weakest of weakest areas, they, they were a very poor offensive rebounding team and they were not efficient in terms of pick and roll finishing last year. And Shengun would have immediately wiped both of those concerns away. And everyone wants to point to the defense and he's not the, the quickest footed of guys, but he's also one of the most intelligent players that that's coming in in that draft class. And you can already tell from watching it preseason, he just understands how to play different angles. He's competitive. He beats guys to spots before they can get there. And that's like one of the most important things about playing defense. If you can beat somebody to a spot and contest them, doesn't necessarily matter all the time how quick you are. You, you don't have to worry about recovery speed if you're always beating that man to that spot and you can see the play two plays ahead. So shengu has been really impressive defensively for me in the preseason, and we know he's going to rack up points. We know he's going to draw fouls. We know he's going to rebound on both ends of the floor. I, I, I'm struggling to, to put him in like my all-rookie second team predictions. I really want to, though. <laughs> I think that at some point, Houston's going to have to play him like bigger minutes than we might Oh, I think he'll start at some point. And I want to, yeah, I wanted to see if you saw this in his game. On offense, he's constantly active. He's constantly putting yeah. pressure on the defense. If he has the ball, if he doesn't have the ball, maybe he doesn't have the gravity that, that other bigs hit, have with a like spot of three-point shooting or something, but he is always active. He's always doing something. And if he gets in the post, forget about it. Like he has counters on top of counters on top of counters. I know he's throwing fouls. He's figuring out ways how to bend yeah. To get them to contest in a poor way where he can draw the foul. And like even in like summer league, he was going to the line like eight to ten times in summer league. Like that, yeah. if that keeps translating, like you know, as a player, one of the easiest ways to bump up your scoring averages and be a better scorer overall is just get to the line, convert on the easy stuff. Yeah. Like, doing that already, like, God, what what kind of offensive player can he be? Yeah, I think he's also going to be one of those guys that's just frustrating to play against because he's so active. He's always moving. He's always thinking. He's always reacting. Like, you're not going to be able to take your eyes off him, which is important in, in this league, you know? <laughs> and this notion that he's small, 
that I, no, I was that small. Yeah. yeah. Dude's 6'10, he's 240 pounds. That dude is alone. No, who actually wants to go up against Shen Goon and, and like guard him for a full 30 minutes? Like he's gonna he's gonna have his way, he's gonna push you around. And you mentioned some of the footwork. He has counters to counters, like yeah, his footwork in the post is I've been I've been trying my hand at doing draft stuff and evaluating guys since like 2011 and like 10 years I've been doing it. He's he has the best footwork of anybody I've evaluated. So so yeah, so the two guys I was talking the most about in this NBA draft was one Scotty Barnes, two Bones Highland. We won't talk about Bones Highland today, but I, I love his game. I think he's going to be able to contribute right away to the Denver Nuggets. But with Scotty Barnes, he fits what the Raptors are doing. And I want to lead to this conversation about the Raptors' direction because I think when the league, as the league prioritizes shooting, they're more prioritizing switchability, length, decision making just throwing a different look at the league. Will it work right away? I don't know. But I like when teams zig when the rest of the league is zagging. Like the Warriors was the first team to embrace that heavy three-point shooting load. And they were in front of the curve with that, which helped them. Obviously, they had all-stars and all-time greats, but that made it even easier for them to be the first. So do you see the Raptors starting a new trend in a different direction? They, they kind of are, right? They kind of are blazing. Yeah. Like nobody on their team is pretty much taller than six nine, but meanwhile, all those guys are competitive and tough as hell. Guys like Scotty Barnes, you talked about, Precious Achua, man, that that guy is also one of my favorite prospects. I never for a second dropped him out of my lottery in twenty twenty. That that dude has so much more that he can build on with his game. Chris Boucher is another one of those guys with length who can contest and protect the rim. Like they have guys. OG, OG, OG Ananobi. Yeah. Pascal Siakam, like, yeah. they just have so many fun players, and it's crazy to think about. They could trot out a lineup where, like, nobody's smaller than, like, 6'8". Like, you can put Delano Band or Scotty Barnes at point guard. You have the other guy, you can have Boucher, you can have Siakam, Ananobi. Like, the things they can do, and then, oh, by the way, they still have, like, three to four guards, depending on how long Dragic is with the team, who can yeah. put up 20-plus points in the blink of an eye. Like, I, I'm, I've always been a big Malachi Flynn guy. They still have Van Vliet, Dragic. Like, Gary Trent Jr. is another guy who I was always high on, like, the Raptors have so many guys that I've considered like my guys for so long. I, I have no reason but to think that they're going to succeed in the future. And I think, I think they're going to be a playing team this year. I really do in the East. Yeah. I wonder if the future of the league is just like going to be like having five guys that are great decision makers, but are like six, seven, six, eight, and are switchable defenders as well. Like well, that's what get... the Phoenix Suns are telling you by not offering <laughs> any contract that he deserves. I don't know if you want to get into that. Uh, that was, yeah, that, we've talked about that. Well, we've talked about it when it was stalled. Uh, now it's been reported that it's over, that they're just over. not going to offer. Yeah, that is kind of crazy. That is, yeah. It's, it, it's egregious. Like, it's, it's one of those things. I know that everybody just wants to focus on the three-point shot and make everything about the three-ball. But one of the reasons why the Suns went to the finals last year is that they didn't always settle for jump shots when they knew that they weren't going to make them. They, they cut the play loose. They said, all right, we're just going to throw it to Aiden. Aiden's either going to make something happen in the post or he's going to catch the lob and he's going to finish. And three may be greater than two, but two is greater than zero. Whether that guy's finishing the play himself or he's getting an offensive rebound, getting the putback. So, like, when you take that option off the table, when you go away from that type of strategy – that's when the Suns really started falling back pretty hard to the Bucs. And that, in my opinion, is really why they lost the final. I don't think they went to Aiden or got him involved enough late in those games. And, yes, some of that was because he got in foul trouble because he was quite literally the only big man they could throw out there to guard Giannis. 
But he was also an effective defensive option against Giannis. He did the best job out of anybody else on that team guarding who could very well end up being the best player in the league. He could cement that this year if he hadn't cemented it already. So like that type of versatility on both ends of the floor. And oh, by the way, I know that you study his game as well, man. Like his mid-range game could someday rival somebody like Joel Embiid's. Like he does yeah. pretty of a jump shot if he extends it out. Like he just has so much promise on both ends, man. It's a, it's a sad story to see that they prioritize given. And, and not that I don't like Mikhail Bridges either. I, I, I love Mikhail Bridges as a player, but to pay him and make something work with him before Aiton, I don't know, man. It just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, do you believe the league is at a tipping point where it'll go back to a more balanced offense? Because obviously it's a copycat league and teams are kind of trying to do what the Warriors were doing, but you can't do what the Warriors were doing if you if you don't have players like Clay and Steph. Do we are we going to start seeing teams realize that and go to a, a more towards a balanced offense? I, I would have thought that would have been the case after Giannis won the title last year. But yeah, um, yeah, that's that's not. Yeah, I mean, he did he did have shooting around him for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But everything's also built on what he can do inside. That's true. That's true. He's playing transition, having one of those unique big men that can play at that pace and have that effect on the game that he does. Like Aiton's one of those bigs. He's not one of those guys who you have to wait to trot down the court to set something up for him in the post like Jokic or Embiid. He's not that type of guy. He's one of those electrifying athletic bigs who can run the floor with a lot of other guys. And that's why, I don't know, I'm just confused, but yeah, you, you you might be right, but I, I would have thought that would have happened already. Nathan, great stuff. Uh, you're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find you on social media and everywhere else? Absolutely. Follow me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. You can find my podcast, Draft Deeper, wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We started putting up the video podcasts on YouTube now this this year. So we're we're trying to make some moves. I'm trying to get a little more pro- professional over here like yourself, my friend. But Oh, I appreciate that, man. And keep up the great thank you for having me on. Oh, anytime. I really appreciate, you know, all the engagement and support you give to the Combos Court Twitter handle. Really, I'm such a big Instagram guy. I always neglected Twitter, and now I'm. I feel like I, I'm embracing Twitter now. You know, I really We're ready like to it. welcome you back with open arms, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you, man. Uh, thank you so much for joining in. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. Absolutely, thank you, boss. Anytime. That's game for episode 210 of Combos Court. Thanks to Nathan for joining in. Thanks to everyone who tunes into the show across the globe. Don't forget to rate. Review and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you listen to Combos Court. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, leave a five-star rating, a friendly comment, and punch down on the follow button for the Apple Podcast app. Don't forget to share this episode. Be on the lookout for episode 211. Combo out.